Coming to you from the Women's Health Annual Visit in Dearborn, Michigan, this is ReachMD, and I'm your host, Ana Maria Rosario. And with me today is Dr. Anita Nelson, who's Professor Emeritus at UCLA and Professor and Chair of OBGYN at Western University in California. Dr. Nelson, it's a pleasure to always have you. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. And today we're going to be talking about uh, patient barriers in regards to IUDs and implants. Yep. So let's first start off with what are the current contraceptive IUD and implant options available now? Well, I think this is something that's a growing market. Uh, We're seeing utilization of IUDs and implants growing at the fastest rate we've seen in any method. It's, It's pretty impressive. And part of it is because we have more options. We have one implant available in this country. It's a single rod etonogestrel implant. Um, it's called Nexplanon. It is placed in a woman's arm. It can be effective for up to three years. The only contraindications to its use is recent breast cancer. So thinking of all of the women who have very serious medical problems, who uh, should not get pregnant until they're healthier, this is a method that is incredibly convenient for women and um, is top tier. It has, um, in clinical trials, zero pregnancies. Uh, so very safe, very convenient. So we have the one implant. It's a little bit uh, more diverse in the IUD world. We have a non-hormonal IUD. It's the Copper T380A called Paragard. It's on label approved for up to 10 years of use. Uh, many of the family planning organizations, though, routinely let women keep it in for 12 years. And there's a study out that shows that it actually may be effective for 20 years. So this is one non-hormonal method. So thinking of all the women in our practice who don't like hormones, who are looking for top-tier methods, this one I think has slipped off the radar, but it's coming back. People are coming to appreciate it. Women have monthly bleeding. Now, the one thing that you're thinking about when you're looking at the hormonal method uh, IUDs as opposed to the copper IUDs, it's not as much about efficacy that decides what you're going to do, but the impacts on the bleeding. So women who get the copper IUD typically have a slight increase in their bleeding. So it's about a 30 to 50% increase. Um, So I tell my patients it's a pad extra day or maybe one more day of bleeding. Interestingly, though, if women have extra bleeding when they're on the copper IUD, if they take non-steroidal anti-inflammatories at the right dose, say ibuprofen 800 milligrams three times a day from the beginning of their their bleeding, they'll actually get back to their regular bleeding pattern. So all that excess bleeding goes back down to normal. So this, um, unless she has anemia or very heavy periods or painful cramps, then then uh, she should be a candidate for a copper IUD uh, if she's a candidate for any IUD. Now, on the hormonal methods, we have two IUDs today that offer us um, a higher dose of levonorgestrel. One has, they both have 52 milligrams. One is officially approved for five years of use, and that's Mirena. We've had that around for more than a decade. Um, it's proven to be very efficacious, and it is the most effective medical therapy that we have for heavy bleeding for women. So amazing, good track record. Um, it was a little expensive for some women before we had insurance coverage for this. So there, and around the world, uh, to be able to bring that kind of efficacy and, and other benefits to women, uh, a foundation called Medicines 360, uh, many years ago, developed uh, another version of Mirena. Um, it, and it isn't going to get us into patent issues because the company that makes um, 
Marina didn't patent the IUD, they patented the introducer. So we're not seeing head-to-head -head fights in the lawsuits. This is perfectly kosher. So they came up with a, a version very similar to what we have from Marina, but they had a different introducer. And that is still in clinical trials. Uh, they're planning to do seven-year trials on that, but they've already got approval for three years. So the whole purpose of developing this was to bring in a lower cost version. So what they have is they have the foundation that's doing the development and provides it around the world for less expense and to public health sector in this country for a, a much lower price than, than even is uh, the public sector price from, um, from the makers of, of Morena. But they've spun off a commercial version. And this commercial, if a woman has insurance but it does, has a large copay, they will promise any woman the most she will ever pay will be $75, if, as long as her copay share is no more than 500 So they're kind of making these as affordable as they can for women. Um, but it is a three-year method right now. The fourth-year da data are there. It's not approved for heavy menstrual bleeding. Um, so this is one of those stay tunes, and they're coming out with a new introducer soon, so there'll be some new training that goes on. So that is called Liletta in this country. Now, so we have the two 52-milligram ones. We have a third one um, that came out uh, designed specifically for women who want lower hormones. Uh, it is going to be a three-year. It is a three-year. It's never going to grow to more years because it's, it is so a low level. And women don't tend to get um, lose their periods. They don't get amenorrhea. Only 12% of women at the end of three years had developed amenorrhea. So this can appeal to women um, uh, who are afraid, want to see their periods um, or some bleeding. Um, also, uh, fewer potentially systemic side effects, but lower, lower levels uh, of hormone in the bloodstream. And interesting, because you didn't have to pack so much progestin into it, the reservoir is smaller, so that means the introducer can be smaller. And so it's easier to place, and it can go into a, a, a nulliparous woman's uterus uh, more easily. So for those reasons... Um, some women don't want to sign up for five years. You know, they only want three years. Uh, diversity so we can meet the needs of women. So that it's not my first choice, but it's wonderful to have around. Now, coming up very shortly is a middle IUD between Skyla and Morena okay. is this new one that's going to be lower dose, smaller frame, five years. That's awesome. And yeah. I, I love the way you said diversity so you can meet the needs of your patients, of the women. It's also important. Um, how often are these particular options recommended in practice, and, and do patients in turn know and ask for these options? For many years um, after the introduction of the implant, very few women knew about it because there was no outreach to them. Um, and I think we're in a changing time. We've seen very large increases, but we started with such a small base. In 2002, when Marina came out, IUDs were used by less than 1% of women. By 2008, we were excited. We were up to, you know... Uh, bigger numbers, and, and now we're two digits across the country. We're close to 13% of women using an IUD or an implant. Um, I think word is getting out, particularly among younger women. They tend to, to favor the implant, the teenagers do, and what a great method. You know, they don't have to remember to take the pills or where they're going to keep them or anything like that. It's just there for them. Um, and it takes, for a primary care provider, Time is so important. You've just got so many patients to see. Getting a woman undressed, are you really comfortable that you know where the uterus is and, and all that other stuff? This 
once her arm is anesthetized, it takes 27 seconds to put this in. So it's not going to disrupt your, your busy clinic. You just started her on a drug that could cause birth defects. Give her something to protect her against pregnancy. It's, it's a wonderful option. Um, and then for the IUDs, women have known about IUDs for a long time. Um, but to have these specific ones out, they may not be as familiar. So teaching them about what's available or having resources like Bedsider. Uh, available to us um, that we can put women in touch with so they can do a lot of their own, answer their own questions and not feel rushed or anything like that and can come to us with specific questions that relate to them so they can really kind of make informed choices. I think that that's just wonderful to have accurate information that doesn't have any influence from the pharmaceutical company so people don't have to worry about any biases. It's just a delightful time. Well, Dr. Nelson, this is a really good backgrounder, so let's really move into that topic about understanding the barriers to IUD and implants used for our patients. What are those <clears throat> barriers? Well, I think the barriers, you can break them any which way, but basically there are some barriers that women face. Um, there are some that come from providers, and then there's the reality of the, of the insurance system or the financial uh, availability of it. Uh, I think uh, you've already alluded to the barriers that women may not even be aware of it. Uh, and interestingly, they're telling us that if we're going to be effective with women in counseling them, we should always counsel about options in order of efficacy. So talk about the ones that work the best first, and then get down to all the other ones that she may be more familiar with. Um, there is a visceral fear of the procedure or the, the method. Uh, a wonderful study that just came out from uh, a Midwestern college, uh, that the students, I don't know enough about it that I feel safe using it. So the more that they can learn about it uh, and its safety, once you know somebody who does it, you know, um, didn't, loves it, you know, enthusiasm counts. But on the other hand, it just takes one person who's unhappy with the method, sitting in the waiting room, spoils the whole day. I mean, the, you can't talk to those women about any of those methods. So I think the awareness is important, accurate information. What is it going to be like to have this? Um, what is it doing? How does it work? Um, those are very, very important questions for patients. Um, and then just this, um, do I trust the system enough? that when I want to get pregnant, I'll find somebody who can take it out. That whole issue of are we doing contraception for women or to women is very important, and the trust that they have to have that we've suspended their fertility. Okay, But the words are important, too, the images that we create. Um, I always advise don't use words like insert. Um, you're going to place the, the device in her uterus, um, using words that resonate with the millennia women that you're, this is a modern device, okay, or this is a device for a modern woman. It's a convenient, so she's very busy, you know, and it's so very safe, and she doesn't, in this busy world that she has, she doesn't have to bother about contraception until she's ready to get pregnant, um, and that is preserving her fertility. Those are, are really important buzzwords to us. From the provider standpoint, um, is everybody trained, right? Do we have it in stock? 
Today, we want to give the method to a woman the day that she comes in. She came for contraception, and we're sending her home with a hope and a prayer uh, and another, maybe an appointment uh, and making sure that those kinds of flow issues uh, are there. Insurance company coverage, is it or isn't it? Everybody has the impression that all methods are covered by ACA, but they haven't all been implemented. And we do have little exceptions like Hobby Lobby that are kind of messing things up. So having references where providers can go online or call a reference where they can find out within a minute or two. Now, not the provider, the office manager. She's got a lot to do, but this doesn't take a lot of time. So if the, the patient can know what her copay is that day, sign up for it, decide one way or the other, fantastic. Uh, a good resource for us. And then just the whole global world. How important is pregnancy prevention? Uh, a lot of people have no idea how well the method is that they're, they've chosen to use. There's not even a commitment that women should plan for their pregnancies. There's a wonderful article that just came out entitled, It Just Happens. And fascinatingly, uh, in some groups, it is absolutely taboo for a young woman or a woman of any age, to plan to get pregnant if she doesn't have enough social and financial wherewithal. But if pregnancy occurs, everybody rounds around her and supports her in this. So we're up against the grain of, of some pretty strong uh, cultural beliefs and behaviors to ask a woman to prepare for pregnancy. Here we're giving her a tool to do this, and there may not even be a, a need that she sees to do it. It may not be even allowable for her to do. So this whole concept of reproductive life planning, maybe in little bite sizes, uh, and we stress the convenience and the safety would be the better way to do it. But integrating it all together, I think we're really in a, a societal shift, and hopefully um, women will see the importance of preparing for pregnancy. There is a price women pay, though. If I come to you and I say, I'm, my husband and I are planning on getting pregnant next th this year, and you put me on folic acid and I go through all this, at the end of the year, if I'm not pregnant, I'm going to get labeled as infertile. And that's a big burden for women to take on, for couples to take on. So weaving in good intentions, really respecting women and couples who plan this, and then giving them the tools to do it. It's kind of a gamish right now, and we're sorting through it, but I think that there's uh, having tools like implants and IUDs can be very important to achieving the goals we want. Well, that's all, and I love the way you beautifully state that all together, even the simplest thing of choosing the right words when you're talking to your patients, making the subtle difference instead of insert um, and, and doing those little subtle things. I think it makes, makes a big change, um, probably mm -hmm. for our, our audience um, to think about those things. Are there any regions of the country, or globally for that matter, where IUDs are much more frequently prescribed? And if so, what are some explanations for this difference? Well, we're seeing a lot of enthusiasm for IUDs and implants in the centers uh, in this country where they have the family planning fellowships. Um, we have access to some of those devices. Many of the states, California in particular, uh, makes all methods of birth control free for women who have lower means. Um, and so in those states, um, training of physicians made a, a measurable uh, impact on the utilization. So in areas where we have less financial restrictions, more training, we can see it makes a difference. Worldwide, uh, most people don't know, but IUDs are the most frequently used method of reversible contraception. Estimates are that about 160 million couples rely on IUDs just at this moment. 106 million of those are copper IUDs of different sorts. So in this country, we're you know creeping up through 2%, 4%, 6%, feeling we're really good. But sit back. In China, it's 51% of reproductive-aged women 
use IUDs. But that comes from the one-child policy where the woman delivers her one and only child. Uh, placenta comes out and somebody puts in a tailless IUD. It's done to her. Um, this is not informed choice. Uh, it's interesting in the, in the growing cities with um, um, women who now have some resources, they're turning to pills because those what modern women use. It's the rural women who get the IUDs. And, and again, now that there's a two-child potential policy, I'm not quite sure what's happening, but um, an awful lot of use around the world. Some places, uh, if you think of sub-Saharan Africa, there's no way they can have access to that. They just don't have the facilities and the cleanly access and that sort of thing. Um, so finding ways to bring effective methods to them. Their implants are growing. Um, uh, South Africa, they give women in public clinics implants for free. So I think uh, the importance of helping women control their fertility, prepare for pregnancy, around the world this is recognized um, um, and in, uh, as being an important part of public health. Okay. So how can these barriers be addressed most effectively? Well, I think one patient at a time, one provider at a time, advocating. ACOG has long been a supporter of, of IUDs and implants, even for nulliparous women and for um, young women. And the American Academy of Pediatrics has come out and formally endorsed IUDs and implants for adolescents who choose not to practice abstinence. So having that kind of professional momentum, it has taken years but state by state, we're slowly seeing reimbursement policies, particularly for the Medicaid programs, allowing providers to give women IUDs and implants at the time of delivery or before she goes home. Uh, and this is going to have just amazing impact. So advocating, working with payers, working with our organizations uh, to promote the use, the training, and the funding of these, all very important. And as individual providers, we sometimes feel, well, what can I do? Um, but just mentioning, finding out if, if your state is one of the 19 states, and then going to your hospital administration and saying, I want to be able to give my Medicaid patients this. Can we start ordering? How can we make it happen? And it's amazing. As long as they don't lose money on it, they're not going to oppose this. They have to put little policies in stocking, but it works out. Um, and one person can make a difference. So do you find that the contraceptive outcomes uh, for patients are worsened due to these barriers, or are the alternatives in use still effective? Well, I think we all recognize that the unintended pregnancy rate is so very high, and when we have bad outcomes to a woman who didn't even want to become pregnant, it, it makes it all the more, more tragic. So we recognize that the way we typically use pills, we're going to see a million pregnancies a year and have these other methods available can definitely make a difference. But we have to raise awareness of the gap that still exists with the methods that we're offering today um, and find ways to incentivize the women, their providers, busy, busy, busy people. You know, and um, one way to raise the issue has been through uh, the One Key Question campaign where we're asking people to ask the patients just once a year, do you want to do you, do you want to get pregnant within the next year? And that kind of moves women over to planning for pregnancy or maybe using effective methods. Um, so I think things like this can make a difference. There is still a big need. We've seen the unintended pregnancy rates go down, but we're still higher than any other developed country. And, and that's just downright embarrassing.
It is. What should practitioners be looking for or asking patients to help identify these barriers early on and work towards solutions? I think just awareness would be a big first start. And finding out, um, personally, the question I like to ask women is, how do you think you'd feel if you got pregnant uh, within a year? And she goes, oh my gosh, no, oh no, I just, you know, got to finish whatever I'm doing right now. Boy, she's just done the motivational interviewing for you. And you can just slide in there with the IUD or the implant and just, and, and she's opened the door. The, the woman who says, um, you know, um, we've been trying to get pregnant. Yes, this year. That would be, I feel so great. Okay. Preconception care. Doors open. The woman who worries me is the one who's out there, shrugs and says, well, if it happened, I guess it would be okay. You know she's not going to take her pill every day. And just making sure that she understands that she needs to use methods that will protect her 24-7. That, that that's really the indifference and ambivalence actually is a hallmark for a higher failure rate for these other methods. And so I think using that question to identify barriers within the woman, and then we can look at her insurance and our own practices to see if we can expand the use of these methods. And any take-homes or parting comments you'd like to add on to this topic for our audience? Well, yes, I think there's some bullet point messages. We know that women who use pills, patches, and rings have 20 times higher pregnancy rates than women who use implants and IUDs. We know that these methods become very cost-effective and that we don't have to make sure every single woman you know, uses at least 18 months so she becomes cost-effective. The mix of women, giving women control, finding out if we can find a way to start a woman on the method that she wants today with this visit. What, a, what a, an accomplishment that could be. And watching the words that we use so that we're not creating images that are very off-putting. Um, as we said, that women don't know the difference between implants and IUDs, and they're calling them invasive methods. Well, gosh, you know, if we use words like place rather than insert, we could really soften and, and uh, get over some of those concerns that women have. And I think the choice study showed us if we counsel women about their options in the order of how well they work, that we can drive that point home for women who may not have. And using support materials, um, like a, a little diagram in your office that shows the different methods with the arrow pointing upward to the better ones, letting women know about bedsider.org and those other resources, I think can really make a difference in helping women become more well-informed and able to make important decisions. Dr. Nelson, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on Reach and Be. Thank you for taking the time to be with me today. Thank you. You've been listening to ReachMD, and I'm your host, Ana Maria Rosario. To download this podcast and others in this series, please visit ReachMD.com or download the ReachMD app on your Android or iOS devices. We welcome you to share, like, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening. This is ReachMD inviting you to be part of the knowledge.